0: Hello Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC. It's the second ever episode of our Champions League review show. Back for the second time in two weeks. Don't worry, you get a week off next week. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host as we look through all four of the Champions League round of 16. First leg ties that were played this week. Everybody in the round of 16 has now played. So we can take some Assertions and some viewpoints along what we've seen so far. I'm joined by the rank officer Sam Tai. How you doing, mate?
1: Mate, I'm picking the wrong games. I think I'm I'm laying down a Champions League curse. You know, this week, I've I've ex- I've expressed my interest in a game early doors. You know, we split the games up between. As I say, guys, I want to watch this one. Then goes absolutely fine with me, mate.
0: Every single time, <laughs> I get it
1: wrong. <laughs> yeah,
0: but but. I was still entertained. To be fair, oh. it's a Wednesday night. We've just watched Interporto and Leipzig against Man City. Neither of them were absolute thrillers. Let's be perfectly honest with you. There was no winner of a game, I don't think, tonight. Both games were relatively entertaining, but they weren't crackerjacks in the way that yesterday we had them. And we'll start with that. Uh, also joined here by our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. How are you doing, mate?
2: Yeah, had a lovely time, mate. I've got one game to assess and it was the best one of all of them. So I've had a lovely time. Thank you very much, Sam, for picking the game that you did so that <laughs> I could quite happily take Liverpool v Real Madrid, one of the best games I've ever watched, off your toes. Um, yeah. I presume nice, you've watched nice it by now, mate. You. Yeah, I presume you have watched this one by now. But if you haven't, you can listen to my points instead um because what do we do three big learnings of each champions league tie champions um, league takeaway isn't it
0: yeah champions League it's, it's fitting considering the cut of the competition is sponsored by just eat these days so <laughs> you know champions league takeaway with just eat maybe we should pitch that maybe we should uh give it give it to just eat and see see what they say for it um, and for now, listening want to sponsor
2: a podcast here, here we are here we are here right. we
0: are Indeed. Right, Liverpool
2: 2, Real Madrid 5. Nothing major, Dean? No, nothing major. Um, First point, Vinicius masterclass, I've just written. Um, This lad left Anfield in a state of absolute shock. Um, He's killed the tie. He's killed the tie. Um, There's no comeback to be had here. I I just don't see it. After this match, Ancelotti has declared Vinicius Jr. as the most decisive player in the world. That's a really big call, um, but maybe as a point, especially when it comes to Liverpool. um, He has a great record against him, um, particularly the last couple of games. He scored the winner, of course, in the Champions League final. And in this one, Real Madrid just lulled Liverpool into a false sense of security and then just left it to to Vinny to do some weird damage. Liverpool were 2-0 up. And look, they did dominate spells of this game. There's no doubt about it. Um, The chances were there for them. But... You know, there were aspects of this game that they just, they just couldn't manage. And when Vinicius, players like him are around, they will keep hunting and hunting until they catch you out. And that is what happened here. Now, Joe Gomez is getting his fair share of blame for uh, Liverpool's downfall in this match. Yeah, he didn't have a very good match, but you also have to admire the talent and perseverance of Vinny in a, in a moment. Um, Like the first goal, for example, um. He's executed it brilliantly. Like he, he has literally forced the chance. He's produced a moment of magic, and then he's finished it off. Like not many players could have scored from there in that fashion, especially past um, a goalkeeper like that. And then on the second goal, he's chasing a dead moment. Really, he's he's really like even he's not expecting much from that. And like of course it's luck. Um, Allison has. Well, brain fart, I guess you could call it. Um, we'll talk about that a it's bit a ra- later it's on. It's a rare
0: one, isn't it? But yeah.
2: It's a rare really, I'm going to talk about that in a bit. But um, yeah, look, it's suddenly 2-2. It's not luck though, right? This is self-belief. This is self-confidence. This is something that Real Madrid have in abundance year after year. And it pays off. This is not a fluke that they managed to turn results like this around. And it's the self-confidence and the self-belief that maybe Liverpool didn't even have at 2-0. Because yes, the place was rocking. and. It was more like they couldn't believe it than they were like, you know, expecting to be in this position. And like, yes, we are back to being Liverpool. It was like, oh my God, we're beating Real Madrid. It was kind of like how I'd feel if Fulham were 2-0 up against Real Madrid. It was was very weird. And then look, goal number three comes and it's Vinicius that forces the free kick. He wins the free kick of Joe Gomez. And then Real Madrid scored the third goal at the start of the second half. And it basically kills off the game. And they scored two more to make it five. But the big lesson here, Vinicius Jr. is a £150 million footballer at this point. You you look at players that you could compare him to that have gone for big money in the last couple of years. Say it was look at Jaden Sancho. Say you look at Darwin Nunez. Say you talk about Mudrick, right? All these players that go for like £85 million, like around there. I tell you what, this guy, Vinicius is twice as good as this lot. The only player... That you can put into the same bracket at the moment as vinicius jr is killing mbappe i really i really think that i think that vinicius has set himself well apart from all those other players and that mbappe is really the only one i can can talk about now so when Ancelotti does talk about him being the most decisive player in the world i mean my first when i heard him saying that i was like well he's comparing him here to to mbappe basically like mbappe is probably the guy that you would look to especially on the back of what he's been able to do for france and how he's turned games um But on the domestic level, maybe he's got a point. But yeah, it's very interesting. And Vinicius, anyway, from this game was just absolutely brilliant.
0: Yeah, I think it's a, a really good point because whilst there was obviously praise for Vinny Jr. last night, I thought that generally most of the praise that you were seeing across social media was going to Luka Modric, fairly, who was absolutely sensational in the midfield, and Karim Benzema, who, again, was excellent, especially in the second half of this one. But Vinicius was the key man. I thought I thought exactly the same coming out of the back of it. It was a, a Vinicius Junior Masterclass. And there was so much of it. And it had so many different elements, as you say. These are the things that you look at. It was the moments that he creates. and And I think you're right in terms of that first goal. So few players could do that because what people maybe don't see is... Fabinho is covering the angle for him to try and duck inside. And obviously, we've just watched Man City, right? And Jack Grealish does his thirds. He comes to faces a player up and then he looks to cut outside of them back towards his own goal in order to open up the shooting angle. That doesn't exist for Vinicius at that point because Fabinho is covering that channel. Gomez, yes, doesn't get out to him fast enough, fine. And and he leaves a little bit too much space. But to be perfectly honest, 99% of the time, that's fine. You can leave that kind of space because there is no avenue. There is no corridor for a player to actually manoeuvre the ball, to manipulate the space in order to get that shot away. But Vinicius manages that because Vinicius is magic. And generally, I just thought it it was an absolutely incredible performance. You're spot on with that one. Uh, Let's go to point number two, then.
2: Yeah, nice one. Um, Well, on the second point, I am going to talk about Luka Modric. um, Because... He schooled Stefan Bajcetic here, and look, I think this matchup basically summed up the gulf between the two teams. Um, This is not a dig at the Liverpool player; like he is the youngest Champions League debutant, I think that they've ever had. Um, He's been great for them since coming in. This this isn't a dig at him. He is literally half Modric's age, right? Literally. Um, But the difference between these two players summed up the difference between Liverpool and Real Madrid at this moment in time. Now, there is a rivalry between Liverpool and Real Madrid that's been created. um, But when they last played in the Champions League final, there wasn't a lot between them. Literally, it was Vinicius being decisive. Um, That's not the case anymore. I mean, you, you watch this tie... There's a huge gulf between these two teams at the moment and you look at what's happening domestically and yeah, Madrid are still, you know, a bit back from Barcelona in terms of of winning the title, but they can still win it. Liverpool are miles off it and might not even qualify for the top four. So this is a Madrid team that are world champions too. Um, and well, you know, Bacetic has been a, a godsend for Liverpool since he came in and could save them a lot of money in that position. This was a learning curve for him and a steep one too. You know, he didn't even have a bad game. It's just that yeah. he didn't have a game that is good enough to compete with a Real Madrid midfield that contains a Luka Modric was in pretty good form. Like Modric, honestly, here, by the end of it, I tweeted it. I don't tweet very often. That's how, that's how you know, I, how <laughs> back I was by this game. He was treating it like a kickabout of his mates. He was just strolling around. He just he spent the game once they settled into it. Obviously, it did take him a while because they were rocked a little bit by going two 0 down. Just found little pockets of space that he'd drop into. He'd collect the possession again and launch the counter attacks. And it's that sharp, those sharp movements that drops him into those spots, and then the smart decision making and the passing that just just sets him apart. It has done obviously for a long time, but in a game like this, it was telling. He obviously took the free kick too to make it three two to set up uh, that goal. And really, it was just a reminder of why you need players like this on the form, on big Champions League nights. And it was kind of glaring that Liverpool haven't got that at the moment.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, we've talked about Liverpool's midfield as a problem all season, but, and, and you can't usually use this as the benchmark, can you? Because Camavinga kind of struggled, I thought, for the first 20, 30 yeah. minutes of this, and then suddenly started to find his rhythm. Valverde is Valverde. He just covers for everybody else all the time, no matter what position you put him in. And then Modric, just as he found his groove, groove, kind of just made everything tick. But I I wouldn't lay it by Chetich's door. I I think you're right in that. And I know you're not trying to blame him for this performance. And Jurgen Klopp came out beforehand and said, look, he can't lose tonight. If he has a brilliant game, it's all on him. If he has a bad game, it's on me for picking him and and throwing him in at the deep end. And he Mm -hmm. didn't have a bad game, as you say. But there are just moments here where you just go, this is Luka Modric. He's a if not a once-in-a-generation midfield, then definitely up in the, the absolute oh, yeah. legendary bracket. And he just settled into it and started to pull strings. And actually, the player that I thought struggled with him the most was Fabinho, who just doesn't look like the player that yeah. he was <laughs> yeah, six months ago, even seven months ago. I thought it was that matchup that really stuck apart for me. Bačecic did all right, he worked hard. He wasn't as good as Valverde, but he did okay. And then you have Fabinho coming at the kind of two older statesmen. Obviously, Fabinho is nowhere near as old as, as Modric is, but the kind of people are supposed to glue this together. And Modric just schooled him. Uh, as you say, just yeah. one of those midfield performances that you look back on and go, that's a master at work. And sometimes you have to just off your cap.
2: Yeah, I, I, I probably picked by Baichetich out here. Um because he is Liverpool's best midfielder <laughs> and maybe he shouldn't be maybe you know it's not it's probably not fair on him that he is actually their best midfielder this is a player that should be in and out of the team really shouldn't be a consistent member of of a Liverpool starting midfield week after week but they actually count on him and they, they had to try and count on him here because of that so yeah a victim of his own success in a way um Let's talk about a couple of other victims right in here in my third and final point because there were two goalkeeping uh, mishaps here that would be absolutely nailed on normally for Melon of the Week, both of them. Um Courtois, uh, hang your head in shame, <laughs> and Alison, what are you doing, son? Um but do you know what? I got me thinking, and as Taylor saw it, she's like, what what are they doing? Like, why don't they just like why don't they just kick it away? Like what are they what's the plan here? Why are they doing that? And I was like thinking about like, what, what is happening. And I think basically goalkeeping should probably start coming with a warning like, to, to anyone that's going to do it because the, the position is not the same as it was. And I think that goalkeepers are now more and more at risk of this happening to them than, than ever before. Um, in the modern game, We shouldn't be surprised that this is going to happen more and more often because goalkeepers are being increasingly encouraged to play it out of the back and to pass it out and to become a footballer, not a goalkeeper, as I would say, like they they will soon be (laughs) able to be considered for footballer of the year because they're expected to be able to play good football. Um, I think honestly, it's it's slightly unfair at times, like some of the the positions that they have to pick the ball up in and some of the passes they have to receive. um, It's not always their fault. I saw I think Gomez again got a bit of a bit of a stick for for his pass back in this. I d I don't know that's necessarily fair. Um
0: but yeah, these sure are-Gomez had anything wrong there. No, yeah, no, he did lots so... of things wrong in this game. That wasn't one of them. Yeah, there yeah. was a, there I think was with the goalkeeper
1: one... thing, Dean. I saw it very well summed up on Twitter. Someone said it's now an occupational hazard. It's just something you have to you have to accept is, and deal yeah. with, you know, these kinds of mistakes because of the role that they now have to play. You're just going to have to accept it. Maybe, Dean. Maybe the big takeaway is that the standard for men of the week for goalkeepers needs to shift along a bit, catch up with the modern game, my friend. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think basically it comes down. Look, if you're, you cannot get
2: away with a bad touch or a bad tu- or a bad pass as a goalkeeper. Like. Which is mad because they're the, they're the worst at it. <laughs> it's, it's really <laughs> not part of the job, is it? Like unless it, unless it's literally Edison. Yeah. Um, So it, it's. I think it's just really interesting that that those two goalkeepers that are so good have made such high-profile errors in such a big match, Um, but. I think it's actually not a bad thing because I think it will make some goalkeepers out there feel a lot better about themselves. And a lot of young goalkeepers should actually take heart in it. That if this is, the, this is what you want to do in the future, if you want to be a goalkeeper, you have to take these risks, then you have to accept that sometimes things are going to go wrong. And it's just part of the game now. It, it's not actually, you won't get better of the week in the future for this. It's going to have to be <laughs> a lot worse. Uh, You'll have to, unless you try to do a step over, then I might still give it to you. Courtois was still a bit dodgy. But
0: um, ultimately, yeah, I'll accept that this has become part of the game. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, a massive win for Real Madrid. And as you said at the right at the top of this, it feels done, doesn't it? You know, three three goals behind. Going back to Anfield maybe would have given Liverpool a sniff even this season. And obviously, Dean, you and I talked on that Champions League preview podcast about the feeling that Liverpool just sometimes turn it on in this competition even when things aren't going well for them. you yeah. said the same about Chelsea in the past. But, Against Real Madrid at the Bernabeu, Not for me, I'm afraid. And, no, I mean, Madrid and, and always to want to be here and give them hope.
2: They always want to be at home second anyway because they know that they can kill anyone off there. Um, yeah, I, I just don't see that. Unless their mentality just isn't right, unless Madrid totally switch off in the first half of that game and allow Liverpool to get a couple of goals back. And it's like 2 0 at half time with all to play for. It's
0: not possible, but it seems unlikely, yeah. Indeed. Indeed. Okay. Right. Let's flip to the other game on Tuesday night, which was Eintracht Frankfurt nil napoli 2. Sam, you took point on this one. What were the big takeaways?
1: Well, apart from the fact that I picked the wrong game. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Eintracht Frankfurt beaten at home and well, they competed. They competed for half an hour. They set up, they certainly set up a strategy, a tactical shell, and they thought they had Napoli's number until Napoli switched it up and wriggled out of it. And really, I was quite impressed with how with how versatile uh, Napoli were and how they were able to try different things and basically figure out on the fly how to be a really obstinate opponent who, you know what, defended pretty well in some parts. And the first area I'd like to focus on really is not probably what you want to expect. It's Irving Lozano. and it's about the fact that he probably deserves a bit more respect. And I'm addressing everybody here, including myself, because we're only, what, a day off a podcast in which we talked about Kvara and Ossie as, you know, a deadly duo, world's deadliest duo maybe, incredible goal-scoring combo, assisting each other, talking about them as a, using them as a crutch to talk about Napoli's season, all season long. You know what? There is, there is another dude on the other wing. <laughs> And he's actually quite good as well. And I'm as guilty as anybody of just kind of sometimes forgetting about him a little bit. But I think in this in this game he really stood up. And particularly for the breakthrough, for the first half he had a better first half than Kavara. Genuinely. Had a better first half. He was more than penalty. That's not particularly difficult. <laughs> Even aside from the penalty, in terms of like inroads, open play, impacts, Napoli's ability to get the ball into dangerous areas, and and ability to beat a man, he was better. He genuinely was better for 45 or 60 minutes. Because Napoli did initially try to focus on the left wing. They would circulate the ball across the back, and then they'd wait for Kavara to basically try and run in behind Aurelio Buta, who's Eintracht's right wing back and see if they could, they could get uh, Kvara in behind because all the space in the middle was gone. Eintracht were really compact. So they, didn't let, they didn't let the midfield really roll over. So they tried, to, they tried to flip Kvara in behind a few times and he couldn't outpace Buta. And Buta did just enough with him to kind of nudge him or to, to throw him off stride or to see the ball out. And Kvara kind of got nowhere with it. And so plan A was not really working properly. So at some point in the first half, they turned to plan B, which was maybe we should try the other flank. Lozano roasts his man. Absolutely roasts him. Philip Max had a terrible game. Really, really tough time of it. And um, that seemed to work out pretty well. So they did it again. And um, he slings the ball across for a goal. And they do it again. And this one disallowed just after the goal. Basically the same, same identical move. And it was just a game in which I was like, ah, okay, yeah, I kind of... Don't really show this guy enough respect. Lozano is is a part of this of this attacking three. He's not as ever present, which is probably why we don't talk about yeah, it as a I was
0: going to bring this up. I was like, the person that maybe we need to address this to is also Spalletti, who often plays Politano on that wing instead of Lozano. <laughs>
1: yeah, absolutely. But it's there are other guys in this team, and I, I sometimes I'm as guilty as everybody else. You know, the glitz and and, and the glare of uh, of of Cavara and Ozyman, and they were great, and we'll get to them. But first up, Chucky. You broke this game open, so you deserve your credit.
0: Yes, indeed. I thought it was very, very good. And that first goal, the pace on that counter-attack is devastating. I, I mean, I tweeted about it, and that is less of an occurrence than when Dean tweeted about Luka Modric. But generally, I think you look at these things, you're like, can, is there any way you can defend it against the pace that both Chucky Lozano and Victor Men have? And the intelligence of Ossiemen to hold that run to make sure that he's the right side of the defender to and then to tap it home. And actually, he scores that goal. It's a bit of a bounces-off-him goal. And then he scores his next one, which is also a bit of a bounces-off-him goal, which obviously it gets disallowed. Mm. But just generally, I was like, I don't think anyone in the world can defend against that counterattack when it's in full flow. And that's a pretty scary thought for everybody else.
1: Yeah, I mean, Man actually isn't isn't the the sort of, isn't any of my three points. So I guess we'll just quickly address him now. He was absolutely amazing. Like he's outstanding. His ability to skip outside of a player, not break stride, push the ball with a really good first touch into space and then latch onto it. Take an early strike, hit the ball with power with no backlift. Like it's it's pretty difficult, man. It's pretty difficult. And it's a shame he didn't get a couple. He won the penalty that Kavara missed just with an explosion of speed. You know, Buta is basically clearing a ball and he's not checked his shoulder, and he doesn't realise Ossiemen is steaming in. He steams in, gets a little touch, and then Buta, his clearance, ends up just upending Ossiemen, throws him about three yards outside the box. He's just... The explosion in the movements is just just mad. But the control that he retains over those movements is is something else as well. But I'll move on to point number two. This does centre on Guevara. I think he's been watching videos of Francesco Totti because... That dribble and back heel that assists the goal, the second goal for Di Lorenzo, mm. is very, very Francesco Totti. It's ridiculous. And the big thing about this is that after the first half, maybe after the first 30, 35 minutes to be more accurate, Kvara's trying to run that left channel, trying to run in behind Buta. He's not getting anywhere with it. He's not seeing enough of the ball. He's not beating his man for pace. They can't really get him into the game. They give him the penalty. He misses it. It's not really going very well. So in the second half, he starts to drift inwards and starts to dribble inside. he takes the ball and rather than run vertically, he just runs flat horizontally. He starts skipping past challenges, heading towards the box, running inside. All of a sudden he's beating men. He's found his groove. And this second goal obviously comes from him just drifting with the ball, just going. And like, you know, you mentioned Grealish earlier. It's very like Grealish where you're just like, oh, I'll see where this takes me. Like I'm going on an adventure. And the adventure led him into the box, but on the right-hand side. So he's probably gone about 30, 35 yards with the ball horizontally I mean, over there, to the there, other side
0: of the box. The reverse pass from Anguissa is absolutely sublime.
1: Yeah. He just, he's just drifted so far across the pitch. Guardiola wouldn't allow it, by the way. He'd be furious because he's on the wrong side of the pitch, but you <laughs> give this player this kind of creative freedom because that's what he is. He plays with joy and you allow him to do what he does. And, in the same way that Napoli kind of eventually found their way around this Eintracht block, Kvara too had to kind of like try a few different things to figure it out, try a few different movements, try to receive the ball in different areas, try to move in different ways. And eventually he cracked it. And I'm really glad that Di Lorenzo put that ball in the back of the net because it crowned an assist. Otherwise it would have been a real shame. And we actually get to talk about it as an assist and as a goal. But he grew into this game and he had an effect on this game in a way that I don't think the game plan really had for him.
0: But he figured yeah. it out. The noise I made when that goal went in, I I've got to say. <laughs> like, Tell us, show us. Lucy's sort, of, Lucy sort of looking at me across the room being like, What on earth are you doing? Like, was it a squeak? Was it, it a roar? It was like a squeal. Um more, more than anything else. Was like, <laughs> ah! um, it was very Gary it was very Gary Neville when Fernando Torres yeah. scored that goal against Barcelona. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. but with more kind of delight as opposed to shot I think it was just um, oh what a goal what a goal anyway sorry that's just me waxing on with some
1: onwards yeah third and final point I'll talk about goalkeepers as well for my third point follow Dean's lead on that one Um, I've been treated to some good goalkeeping displays actually over the course of these last last two nights Diogo Costa this evening and and Kevin Trapp in this one I mean I'm not going to say this tie is alive you know it is alive but it's the, the chances are obviously extremely slim. The There's only one reason he's alive, yeah. The reason the chances are even remotely slim is that Kevin Trapp made nine saves, including a penalty, and a couple of really, really good ones where, in particular, Napoli were taking these near-post corners, so whipping them in, James ward Prowl style, lots of dip into the near-post, and Napoli were just getting ahead on it. And sometimes, actually, Frankfurt kind of got ahead on it themselves. And battering it towards that near post. And Trap is stood there, and he's got like three people in the way. And he's got his hands up in front of his face. And he's just trying to just trying to move. And like it becomes a bit like Neo from the Matrix style scenes. Um, he's just trying to react. But these sh- these shots that he's saving, they're so powerful. And they're taking nicks and deflections. There's one from Kvara who he, he hits it into the ground and it deflects, and he has to tip it over. Had a really good night. And some really good reflex saves, and of course he saved the penalty. Nine in total. I was really impressed with him, really, really impressed. And he's kept Eintracht in this game, although we'll have to temper our expectations. They're 2-0 down. They're going to Italy next. And Randall Colomawani was sent off in this Mm. second half, which was a shambles of a decision.
0: Yeah, really, really tough for him, isn't it? It's one of those ones that you kind of hope will get overturned. But the chances of being overturned, considering it was looked at by VAR, and Decided that it was yeah. still a red card, feel relatively slim at this point, but yeah, never ascending off for me, and maybe does kill the tie dead, which is a shame because Eintracht started well, they were, you know, a very, very good value. I thought to have gone in level, and when Trap saved the penalty, said it to you, Sam, at the time, I was like, it feels fair because I think that Frankfurt have probably done enough to go in level in this first half, and then about two minutes later, Ossie scores. <laughs> so I was like, all right, yeah. cool. That was, that was a nice little curse from me on, on that one. But uh, alas, it doesn't feel like Eintracht will go to Naples with all that much hope. Right, let's come on to tonight's games. And I'm going to start us off by talking about RB Leipzig 1-Manchester City 1. And I'm going to start off the three points with the point that City like to play with their food. When City are on top in games, they don't just go for the jugular. They're like, hmm, let's see how we can torment them for a little while. And I know that this is all to do with the element of control that Pep wants to put into games, and I completely understand that. But I do think that City's inability to go for the jugular at points is really holding them back. And it's not quite as... I'm going to pull a comparison here that is too extreme, but I'm going to pull back on it, if you know what I mean. It's a bit like when Juventus go 1-0 up and then in the second half, they just refuse to attack because they're like, now we'll defend 1-0 leads. You're not good at that anymore. Stop it. But City just have this thing where they'll go 1-0 up after about 15 minutes and you'll be like, right, you're completely in control of this game. Kill it dead. And instead, they just seem to be like, okay, what we're going to do is really, really wear the opposition out. And I appreciate that that has its real moments in terms of trying to make sure that you are staying in control of games. But in ties like this, where you know Leipzig aren't playing well in the first half, and we'll come on to that, you've got to just be like, right, we are in complete control here. We have to try and make this count so that there is a semblance of a cushion in the second half. And it did feel in so many ways that City got into the lead and were like, right, we'll just knock the ball around for the next 70 minutes. And look, the City team have the capacity to do that, and they love being in control of games. But this is the Champions League and friend of the pod, Harry Brooks, did a really good tweet earlier that I thought was really interesting about why Real Madrid are good and why they're really good in the Champions League. And it's about being able to play in different game states. And the fact that you're looking at these kind of teams like Real Madrid, who are 2-0 down, and Ancelotti was like, it'll be fine. We'll We'll just let Vinicius do his thing. Benzema will probably score a few. Luka Modric will probably come into this game. City don't do this because City are only in control when... They're in control, if that makes sense. And when the game opens up and gets stretched, and Pep talked about it, he said, if Leipzig start getting into transition, you're in real trouble. You need to stop that happening. And the fact that City weren't able to make the most of this first half, and this isn't new, like we saw this at Nottingham Forest at the weekend as well, where they had that 1-0 lead, and you go, right, how many are City going to score today at the City ground? And instead they don't do that and they get punished for it. And it's happened all over again tonight in Leipzig. And I just think there's an element of it being like, if you start cutting through teams and the way that they sized through Leipzig for that first goal, the little dummy from Gundawan is absolutely wonderful. But the fact that it took 67 minutes to get Erling Haaland a touch in the opposition box, I think probably tells you all you need to know about the way that city set up after they scored that goal.
2: Yeah. they basically ignored Holland. Like for, for, we we've, Heard all the conversations about how having Holland has has changed this Man City team. And, you know, I think, you know, you you could either call them predictable or you could say they're too reliant on him, whichever way you want to dress it up. But he had nothing to feed off here. It was like they completely... They definitely weren't relying on him tonight, were they? It was like they didn't (laughs) want him... It was like he wasn't there. Oh, he wasn't there. And then he did get one chance. Didn't do anything with it. I'm sure tonight he's feeling really frustrated, to be honest. Um, you know, especially he's, he's playing in Germany. Like every time he goes and plays against a Bundesliga club, he wants to go back and remind everyone what he's about and like, you know, make his point. Uh, this is this is just the way the guy's made. But he, he won't be very happy right now, Erling Haaland. We'll have to see, uh, I think they've got Bournemouth at the weekend, haven't they? See if he takes it out on them. Um, but someone soon, I think, is going to get... It's going to feel this this anger from Holland. It's going to take it out on someone soon.
0: The long boats are going to come raiding at some point <laughs> in the near future, I think. Um, right, number two here is I have absolutely no idea what RB Leipzig's game plan was in the first half of this game. But like, I have not a clue what they were trying to do because normally you go, okay, Leipzig are a team who are under a Red Bull model. Marco Rosa is in charge of them now. We know exactly what Leipzig are going to do. They're going to try and hit City on the counter. They, don't, they won't be delighted that City have all the ball, but they equally will be able to deal with it because this is a system that is able to deal with those kind of issues. In the first half, they offered absolutely nothing to this game of football and it was really strange I've watched a lot of Leipzig of late and I've thought they've been really really impressive that win over Wolfsburg in particular I thought they were sensational in that game and under Marco Rosa I think generally Leipzig have really improved he feels like Marco Rosa and this team are a good match in that I think he's improved tactically from where he was at Dortmund last year and or this system fits him better but I think they're playing better generally across the ball with the ball as well, which has always been a point of contention with Marco Rosa teams. But they just really didn't try to do anything in the first half. And like, I'm trying to find a way of describing this that isn't no idea. But generally, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of struggling to come up with any concept of what Leipzig's game plan was. Yes, City were excellent and they had a lot of the ball and they stroked it around nicely. But when Leipzig got the ball, they didn't even try and get in the channels. They didn't try to transition quickly. You're looking at these things and going, well, Pep said that he's a bit scared of our transition. It's as if Marco Rosa double guessed himself after Pep said that and went, well, we won't play in transition then. And I was like, we haven't even <laughs> to play transition because there is no other way of playing right now. And it was genuinely one of the strangest things. And said it on the commentary, and I will kind of defer to that point briefly, and that, Leipzig will be looking back at that after the way that they played in the second half and thinking, why the hell did we do that? (laughs) We could have won this game. (laughs) We could have won the game in the second half, never mind the first half. But we only played for 45 minutes of this encounter. We've come away with a one-all draw against Manchester City. What on earth are we doing? And generally, that's that's my big takeaway from, from a Leipzig perspective. Literally, if they had come out and played like they did in the second half throughout this tie... I'd suggest that Leipzig would be in charge. I'd suggest Mm. that they would have a lead going to Manchester. Now, whether that would be enough, I don't know. And I probably would err on the side of doubt. But just across the course of this game, it was just really odd.
2: Yeah, I mean, maybe it's just that sometimes, you know, you go out with a game plan, but you ultimately you you get to the game and you realise what you're actually up against here. And you become a bit scared to play your normal game. I mean, the commentator during the game even said, he was like, I've actually watched a lot of Leipzig. This is not how they play. I'm. They said this is not. This is not what I've seen. I've watched. I've, I think he covers all the Bundesliga games. He's like, this isn't how they play. Um. Yeah. May, maybe it's just a case that it almost needed them to go behind in order to start playing their own game to to actually remember they have to get something from this game tonight. Or they they're, you know, the chance of going to Yeti and pulling off a a winner hard enough. But especially if you're already behind from a first leg. So. Yeah, maybe it did him a favour in the end Maras actually did score during that first half period and it was only one.
0: Mm, yeah, I think that's probably fair. Uh, my third and final point on this one is that Pep didn't make any substitutions. Zero substitutions from Pep Guardiola. Again. again. And there were some certain things that I thought were a bit weird about this. Now, look, let's be perfectly clear about this. The Manchester City bench is depleted. It was not the kind of host of superstars that we are used to seeing on the manchester city bench but julian alvarez and phil foden were both on said bench they were asked about this before the game and pep said that he had chosen not to select foden uh, as a tactical decision there was no injury related issues uh, he said he played well when he came on at the weekend and decided to rest him for this one city have Bournemouth. In the Premier League at the weekend, which is one of those games where obviously Bournemouth pulled off a shock result last week, and we've seen them have some moments in the Premier League this year. But you'd imagine that Manchester City will beat Bournemouth, and I, you know, I'd imagine they would have beaten Nottingham Forest last weekend. So maybe I'm, I'm t- talking absolute <laughs> horse, but generally, I think we talked about Xavi and the way that he rotated his Barcelona side for the Manchester United game before the Cadiz game. And we talked about it and wondered about it before this Manchester United game in terms of the fact that they have Almeria at the weekend and be like, no, play your full strength side in the Europa League against Manchester United and then rotate in the game against Almeria. That's that's the sensible way of doing things. And I do wonder if you're, you're looking at this no substitution thing and the way that Mares played tonight where Carl Walker was very high and wide on the right hand side for City and Mares drifted inside to get closer to Holland. He obviously cuts inside. He's, he's basically centre-forward by the time he scores the goal. Felt like the kind of position that Phil Foden would love, like really love, being able to drift off that wing and make things happen in those channels where he likes to to play those kind of cute manipulative balls and, and make sure that he's very tight to the striker in order to get that kind of bouncing relationship going. And Alvarez felt like he might be able to offer something as well in a game where... City then started to play on the break and you're going, right, okay, get Alvarez on here and let him, let him peg it down that side and you have another option in these areas. I just thought it was very weird that Pep didn't make any substitutions, especially because City looked a little bit lost for periods of this game. And when you're looking at how you react to those kind of things and you also look at how Leipzig reacted to Nkuku coming on and making a difference straight away, Suddenly they grew into the game. Everyone grew 10 foot tall for a little while for Leipzig because they felt they were like, right, we've made a change. There are people here we can get at. You just feel like that little bit of a switch up, that little personnel manoeuvre gave them a lease of life and City got none of that because there were no personnel manoeuvres from Pep Guardiola.
2: Yeah, weird, especially to say, like I was saying about Poland like being ignored, like getting no service. Like what was the point of him being there? It's, you might as well have you might as well have taken him off because you weren't losing anything in that moment by doing it, apart from him pulling something out of nowhere, which obviously he can do. But, but Alvarez on, like, like you say, like that, that would probably have been the sub or push Foden back in there. Very strange, but maybe look, Man City won't see this as a bad result. Really, I mean, overall, they'll, no, they'll take a one-one one away at Leipzig. No, it's not a bad result at the end of the day. So maybe Pep's got what he wanted. He's only used eleven players. He's happy going into Bournemouth game with they're all fit and. Um, this game, they can go and kill off. Now they'll they'll feel
1: at the Etihad.
0: Mm, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, let's roll on to our final game, Sam.
1: Yeah. So, I didn't get all the drama and all the excitement, but I did get the red cards because <laughs> there was one in Iron Track Frankfurt against Napoli, and there was one in Inter's win over Porto, one nil. Bit squeaky in the end. This was very well contested, very very well contested, and no doubt about it. The latest red card for Ottavio has definitely played a part in sort of finally swinging this game into Inter's favour because this was like dead on 50-50 split, like absolutely all the way through. You could really barely separate the two sides. Um, not a lot worked in attack for either team. They couldn't really find a way through very often and they struggled for avenues. The good thing for Inter though is that the one thing that seemed to work on the night was crossing into the box. And so it's pretty fitting, actually, as my first point that the winner came in the way that it came, which was across from the right into Lukaku who pounds the header against the post. It bounces back into him and he finishes it off. It's very fitting that that was the method in which the only goal of the game was scored because Inter actually, their only real threat, Nico Barella aside, some clever movements was crosses. And, and they did, they sent in quite a lot of crosses. And up until that point, I think I had DiMarco And Damian, left and right wing back respectively, well in the conversation for their most important players on the night because they were creating the chances. Inter couldn't really break through the middle. They couldn't really use Dzeko as a bounce ball. They couldn't really get Lautaro to finish any of his chances. But what they could do was cross the ball into the box. That's the one thing that Porto couldn't stop. So the fact that it ended up teeing up the goal for Lukaku is pretty fitting. And for Lukaku to score was quite a
0: nice moment too. Yeah, I thought I think you're absolutely right. And actually, that switch that Inzaghi made to take off Scriniar, pull Freddy DiMarco back into sort of right centre-back and release Dumfries down the right, I thought gave him a little bit of an edge down that side with a bit more attacking creativity, a little bit more impetus, as you say, after the red card allowed things to open up a little bit more, even further for the wing backs, if you will. So generally, I thought that was a nice little tweak from Inzaghi and probably won them the game in the end.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um there's a nice little stat actually that uh, our commentators read out that uh, Concelsao the Porto coach and Inzaghi the uh, Inter coach played together.
0: Yeah, at Lazio. There you go.
1: At Lazio under Sven-Göran Eriksson. Oh. <laughs> Long time ago, but they are old friends. Old friends. So little tweaks like that, little things that happen, little Little moments that decide the game. It's, it's it's between two old foes, old old colleagues, old foes. It's always very interesting. But I'll move on to point number two, which was that I actually thought the best performance on the night was from Mateus Uribe, which I did not expect to say. Given the amount of talent on that pitch, particularly in midfield, it feels ridiculous, really, to say that he was the best midfielder, let alone the best player. But I think he put in a near perfect performance, and it's made all the more impressive by the fact that he was quite a big injury doubt coming into this game. Been missing a little bit. Porto have had quite a few injury issues, actually. But they've had to they've had to draw on their reserves a little bit. And and I think this was probably a case of, what can you give me? Like, can you get all the way through this one? We really need you for the big occasion. And he turned up. And I tell you what, there were times on this on this pitch. I thought there were three of him on this pitch. I don't know if it was just that three other three Porto players were wearing yellow boots. And he was too, but I genuinely at points had just thought he would, he had replicated um, in a, in the same way that I used to think Rodri and Fabinho did, you know, when they were just covering every blade of grass, like, Oh, he's just popped up there again. Oh, there he is turning out of pressure and leading a counterattack with a good drive forward. Oh, he's just done another interception Four interceptions and the tackle on the night, basically never lost the ball roaming like laterally across the the front of the defense and, and screening them. He was absolutely amazing. I, I couldn't, I could barely believe it, to be
0: honest with you. Yeah, he's a good player. <laughs> this is this is not new, I suppose, but to do that on a, on such a big yeah. occasion. And, and in a, against a midfield which contains Nicola Barella, who many will know is one of our favourite players across the board, to, to kind of dominate in, in there like he did was impressive. This was such a midfield battling performance from Porto. And it's really mm. funny. Obviously, we watched a lot of them last year and within the midfield, there was... Bettina, who's now at PSG, Fabio Vieira, who's now at Arsenal. You look at these and you go, oh, there was lots of creativity in that midfield. Who have they replaced them with? But they haven't. They've just let the like, <laughs> dogs of war loose in the middle of the pitch. And I thought that was interesting that Porto went for that approach. But also, I thought it was probably the correct approach, considering they were already at uh, interside in good form at San Siro. And to be perfectly honest with you, if it wasn't for a, a bit of real stupidity, it probably would have worked.
1: Yeah. I mean, generally speaking, I think it, yeah, it kind of did work. Like it it leveled the playing field massively into could not play through them. They could not use the center of the pitch. And San Siro was getting pretty annoyed about that. They were getting quite impatient. And if you do reduce your opponents to slinging balls into the box, like obviously you don't, ideally you never concede a shot, but like one of the least threatening things you, you can concede is, is a sort of lofted cross from, you know, Deep position, thirty yards. All right, Jecos in there is going to make it difficult for you to deal with it. But
0: for the Still most part, hell until Mary, were, isn't it? yeah, it's
1: it's 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 okay if that's what you reduce your your opponent to. there's low percentage stuff. So, so well done to Porto there, particularly rebate, Although Grietch was was quite good as well. Um, and it leads me on to the third and final point. All things considered, this isn't really too bad for Porto. They've only lost one nil. Sansiro is very very difficult in terms of places to go. Mm-hmm. The tie is in the balance. They had a load of injury concerns heading into this game. And they got Mateus Uribe through unscathed. They got Evan Nilsson back onto the pitch as a substitute. They had a man sent off, but that's going to be okay because they get 11 men from the start next time. So in three weeks, they welcome Inter back to the drug owl. Horrific place for an away team to go. Yeah. 11 v 11. Evan Nilsson's probably going to be fit. And they're going to have a go. And honestly the triple save that onana made in the second half of this game i could not believe porto didn't get at least a goal out of this this is insane absolutely insane hell of a hell of a piece of goalkeeping this from onana and there are a couple of really really lively counter attacks from porto too so losing the first leg doesn't feel good doesn't feel good at all but it's in the balance there's lots of things coming back into your favor and this one still feels very much alive for porto yeah, absolutely.
0: Conte Sao's Dogs of War will return home to play against Inter at the Jagal. It will be a very interesting one indeed. And uh, with that, I think it's probably time for us to call it a day here on our Champions League review. And all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much for listening today. It's been lots of fun talking through these games this week we will be back in a fortnight on the Champions League review although we'll have two podcasts on this feed before then on our standard wednesday slot thank you very much to our transfer guru mr dean jones cheers mate thank you very much to the rank on mr sam ty cheers buddy I've been Jack Collins, Neverfast. This has been your Champions League review on Ranks FC. UEL Trues will be up in the morning on our YouTube channel. If the Europa League is your bag, I'd love for you to go and have a look at that. And we will see you very shortly. Take it easy.